It's the Finding Strength Podcast. We're back today, my friends. Coming from you on location yet again. I am Brindyless today. My normal co-host, Ryan, is not here. She's my wife. That's usually co-host with me. But today, we have subbing. We have poor excuses for substitutes for Brindy. Sorry. Jordan and Jared, my friggin' brothers from another mother, my travel companions. Jared's the guy who speaks with me all the time everywhere I travel. Jordan is one of my best friends and handler. What's up? <laughs> You've heard them on episode 48. Got him back in the house. And Jared brought his good friend Ryan in to talk about life. Life and being being Ryan. So welcome to the podcast, man. Good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we're really stoked to get you on here, hear a little about your story. Um, so quickly to kind of to kind of bridge the gap, Jared, how do you know Ryan? So Ryan and I were on the Akma SWAT team together. He was one of our tactical medics. And so on the SWAT team, a lot of us don't have the training education to be doctors or paramedics, nor do we want to go through that training or touch blood. That's why we let the fireside guys. We're like, you touch that, we'll poke holes in them, you plug holes in them. Um, and Ryan came to the Akma Police Department. Uh, great addition. Obviously, his training experience and background uh, to our SWAT team, tactical medic, to help us out. And really, we just we created a bond and, and been friends ever since. He ended up leaving and uh, going to the go full side on the, the firehouse and going full time with them. And I'm excited to see what he's doing. And he uh, recently reached out to me uh, about what he's currently doing and want to know if I would uh, want to join him at one of his conferences in Spokane this year and be one of their keynote speakers. And I said, absolutely. So today is kind of a cool day when we invited Ryan, because we're here uh, training Kennewick PD this week. I said, what a great opportunity to bring my friend here, do a little podcast, and do a little pickleball and play some poker tonight. So that's how Ryan and I in- initially started uh, our friendship together. Yeah, we're, act- we're actually sitting in Jared's living room right now in his beautiful house. In, in Washington, we invited Ryan here. So Ryan, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like, like, what's your story, bro? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jared. Um, well, started in the fire service uh, when I was like 17 years old, um, as a kid, baby, uh, as a volunteer, and loved it. My uh, uncle was a battalion chief at Tacoma Fire, and so that kind of sparked the interest, grew up uh, going to his stations and, and seeing him at work, and Loved it, so that sparked the interest, and um, pretty quickly I moved into the fire station when I was like a senior in high school. I turned 18, and they let me move in, um, so kind of a weird weird way to come <laughs> about as a 18-year-old, 19-year-old, and uh, pretty much have been involved in the fire service, emergency services since then. Um, kind of did a bunch of things, went to some different schools, uh, went and got my paramedic, which is how I ended up in Yakima, and then um, I'd heard about this SWAT medic thing. And I was like, man, that's, that's cool. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't go to Yakima because of that. I just, I made a phone call and they're like, I was like, do you guys have SWAT medics? And they're like, yeah, we got SWAT medics. Um, come down and fill out an application. Tell us about yourself. So, um, I was actually a pretty, pretty brand new medic when I joined, um, the team. I think I was like 24, maybe 25, which is just super young to be on a SWAT team in general. Um, and so I spent, uh, a little over five years there doing that. And I was working as a paramedic on the side um, through part of that process and then got back uh, a full time as a fire firefighter and a medic. And I was doing the SWAT thing. Um, and then when I came to my current department 10 years ago, 
it was uh it was just too you know i had some young kids and it was uh too much to do both so um I back, backed out of the SWAT thing and um, kind of kept teaching uh, tactical medicine and rescue task force, active shooter, um, ended up starting a company and going around uh, kind of the West Coast and Midwest teaching departments how to integrate fire and law enforcement. And uh, it's where I am today. So I'm at Pasco Fire Department. I'm a, a captain on our um, ladder rescue truck and spent a couple years in the training division and... Um, then recently started this company uh, with a buddy that's kind of geared towards uh, mentorship, leadership, and uh, we do some training, some conferences, and uh, we run a national mentorship program. So that's a long answer to a short question. Freaking busy guy over here. Um, when does the name Patches come into play? Can we talk a little bit about oh, that? Yeah, that's uh, your nickname, right? It was one of the nicknames, yeah. One of? Oh, Yeah, wow, I think okay. you're going to have to... I. I don't know. Jared remembered it like, <laughs> hey, how you been? I haven't seen you. In, uh, I haven't talked to you in two years. I don't know the last time when we've kind of reconnected uh, a couple years ago. And he was like, hey, patches. I'm like, oh, glad that didn't that didn't die. So I don't know. Do you know the do you know the story behind it? Other than I know I I was full, full on like SWAT nerd, man. Like get me all the patches I could wear that said, you know, the cool sayings like. Fuck it, let's do it live. There's my, there's my one. I used it already. That was perfect, Dang man. No, yeah, and, and obviously, uh, in, in the SWAT family, in the SWAT community, if we're not teasing you or picking on you, we don't like you. And one of our commanders... This sounds like such a welcoming, oh, it is. warm yeah. place to it is. spend some time. It I truly was loved. Is. I was loved, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, when, you, when you're new, you gotta, you know, you're going to get razzed. And... Um, patches, <laughs> Ryan shows up, and like you said, he had all kinds of morale patches. This is when morale patches were brand new, and he had them all over his kit and his vest, and our commander <laughs> looked at him, he's like, get those things off, get those patches off, and ultimately, because of that, everyone just started calling him patches, and really, the cool thing about any military or law enforcement first responder organization is you want a nickname. Obviously, you can't come up with your own nickname. Whether you like it or not, we all want nicknames. Right. And mine's mother. Mine's mother. Like, yeah. Right. Mine's mother. That's they gave me mother. Right. Because I always had two of everything. And if you need anything, you can come to me. It's even on my SWAT plaque. Jared Mother Nezri. So you get it whether you like it or not. And you just embrace it. So it came back that he was so excited and motivated to be a part of the team. And we loved him. And he just was having all these cool patches on. And <laughs> our commander's like, get those off. So he came to be known as patches. I love it. I, I kind of forgot. I forgot the commander part of that oh, that yeah. story. So yeah, that's that's good. That's oh pretty yeah, fantastic. good old. Never, we won't. Do Whenever it. I think of patches, I think of dodgeball. Patches of Hulahan. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. dodge wrench, dodge ball. <laughs> Anyways, um, that's really cool. So b- let's back way up if you're cool with that. Yeah. So how did you find your way into the fire service? Like, what's what's life like before that? Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Give us the origin story to uh, Ryan. Yeah. So grew up in. Uh, uh, the big city of Ephrata, Washington, which is like 7,000 people. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty big uh, metropolitan area. So, um, yeah, grew up playing sports. And uh, like I said, I, my uncle was a battalion chief. And so I grew up going to his firehouse and just seeing um, seeing the truck, seeing, you know, seeing those guys are just bigger, than, larger than life. And uh, I immediately had an affinity. Like when we went, when we went to Coma, I was like, I want to go see Uncle Kenny. Like, I want to go to the firehouse. So 
Um, and he was, he was loved and, uh, he actually passed when I was like 17, probably about maybe six, nine months before I joined the fire service. Um, he was retired. And, uh, so I went to his service and man, it was like, they shut down Tacoma and he, it wasn't considered a true line of duty death, but it was very close to his retirement, um, which is very common in, in obviously in fire and law enforcement, um, but, uh, man, they shut down Tacoma. They had engines just lining the streets, Tacoma police department, you know, the motorcade, the whole thing. And, uh, it was powerful. It was powerful. It was, it, you knew pretty quick, even at an age of 16 that like, this is something to be involved in. So that was cool. That's really cool. I mean, to hear that, that would definitely change you as a teenager. And it sounds like it changed you for the better to become something that you weren't sure you wanted to be at that time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it put it right, you know, right in my face of what I wanted to do next in my life. And luckily the way the fire service works is you can be a cadet at, you know, 16, 17 years old and, you know, you don't get to do the fun stuff, but you get to come. It's kind of like being the medic in the beginning on the SWAT team. You get to be in the rear with the gear and pick up brass after everybody shoots. So, but you're just happy to be there. Just happy to be just there. Ha- yes, Put sir. Put your patches right on. A- put it right away. Sir, give me patches. Yeah. <laughs> Clean up brass. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. That's fantastic. So, so, uncle, right? You said uncle yep. passes away, and you're at this funeral, and there's this big procession and all this mm. stuff. And you're this 16-year-old impressionable kid, and you're looking around going like, oh, my goodness. Like, what's what's going through the mind of a 16-year-old kid at this funeral that is like, okay, I'm going to take my entire life and dedicate it to this? Ooh, you're, we're going to go deep right off the, right out of the gate, huh? Um, you know, That's how we do, man. I, yeah, good. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, I don't know if I had that sort of like realization at that point like this this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to but um, obviously it was impactful I think I think even growing up as a kid and being there and like I said just seeing this world that was kind of larger than life you know the the trucks everything about it's big you know and you you look at these guys and you're just like kind of in awe with them as a kid and uh, so I think all those things kind of built to that and then being part of that and seeing the community I mean it was like there was hundreds and hundreds of people there um, and, and they're all your family. They're yeah. all brothers and sisters. Yeah. That's what we really thrive in in, in that community, right? There's that big connection that, you, that we're all one together and we fight along each other. So that esprit de corps, that camaraderie, it runs deep within us. I mean, the traditional. That's why a lot of we have, I'm third generation law enforcement, right? It's usually something your generational pass on a legacy thing. And you're proud of that. We are proud of that. Yeah. So. Well, and, and a lot of listeners to this podcast are, you know, we're layperson, citizen, whatever, what's the word, non, non, I don't know, anyways, we're not one of you guys, and I think from an outsider's perspective, I have this really cool perspective, because I get to be like the ultra voyeur, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm not a firefighter, I'm not a first responder, I'm not a veteran, yet I like live in your world, and I get to visit it regularly, and understand like the dynamics of this first responder world and it's it's incredible to watch and to be like brought into the fold because it is it's it's this family it's this and it's not just it's different than a camaraderie it's like this this brotherhood of of protection and safety and it's really beautiful to be to be a part of that and the the cost is high you know for admission but once you're in man is it safe 
And I just wonder, you know, as, as we look at the overall community of first responders, is that something that people don't have and that's what makes them want to become first responders? Is that something that when you're a little kiddo, you have this experience of like, I don't know what safety is or I'm alone or I'm an outcast or, you know, like you want a, a sense of belonging, belonging. Right. Well, I know your story, bro. Like right. that's a big part of your story. Right. And so now all of a sudden you get this belonging thing and you're, and you're in it and, and it must feel really cool. It's bigger than yourself. Yeah. It really is. And it draws us. You know, you talk about, I, I, I don't like the term like the us versus them or there's, a, sure. or there's a division or there's a line, like the thin blue line or the thin red line. But if you haven't walked the shoes and seen the things that we've seen and felt and heard, you don't get it. You yeah. don't understand it. It's yeah. the same thing when I talk about my police dog dying, Bruno. Yeah. Oh, I get out of pet. You, no. That's not it. It's no. the same. That's why when we do these trainings and I'm the one that kicks open the door and, and punches you in the throat because it's reality and I speak the language and I understand the culture. That's the only reason people are inviting us, communities, police, fire, military, inviting us back, right? Because For they sure. understand me. They see me. And yeah. until you have somebody that can make the connection like, oh, Nezri went to treatment for PTSD and it saved his life and his career. Do they understand why Deer Hollow is here right. and willing to support and be a resource? That's it. You show up if, if as, a, as Deer Hollow or any ABC, ACME treatment center calls up to a firehouse or a police department and says, hey, you know, this is what we offer. Go away. We didn't call you. We're going to hang up the phone. Leave us alone. You have to be let in. It's word of mouth. It's trust. Mm. If Ryan, right? Or if Jared believes and then trusts them, right, with their life, then we're good to go. You have to have it, right? These firehouses, they invite us in. We don't come knocking on the door because they'll right. slam it shut. Go right. away. Right. Um, so for, for you, Ryan, like when you get this camaraderie, brotherhood thing, and then you're able to carry that forward. Now, later in life, you've started, is it a, like a nonprofit? What is, what is it that you're doing now? Um, we are for profit. For we profit, do, okay. Um, we do uh, some things nonprofit. Uh, we have a men national mentorship program is one Very of our big cool. things. Um, and we actually, we stole it from law enforcement. I had heard about at the chief level that they were connecting chiefs across the country um, to mentor each other. And, uh, I was like, man, why can't we do that? And so, um, that's been a big part of us for the last three years is we connect people from a 20 year old volunteer firefighter to, uh, a deputy chief of a major city organization. And, uh, not, not to say that necessarily that individual is going to mentor the the firefighter, but right. we have everything in between. And so you have people that are like, maybe on a little bit bigger department, maybe they're a little bit further in their career. Uh, maybe they're run one rank above you and you can reach out to them and say like, Hey, what do you think about this? What, is, you know, how would you deal with this problem? Or have you seen this before? So stuff like that. So that's, that's kind of the um, stuff that we do that's not for profit. Um, and we do uh, charity with our conference each year. And then the for profit is, is conference. And then, um, we're looking at doing some more training stuff um, in the upcoming years. So that's really cool. Go ahead. Well, that, and that shows value, and that's you giving back to your community and paying it forward because you saw the benefit it, that it happened to you, and you want to continue in that 
right? That's how we give back in, in this profession. I love that, man. That's great stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Well, and, and what's really cool, too, outsider looking in, is seeing how many of the first responders want to continue to stay a part of this community because they feel so at home in it, even after retirement. And as, as you look at, like, I'm, I'm the statistics nerd guy, right? Like I'm the guy that goes and read all the, the, the literature and begins to understand it from like a really bird's eye view of what the community is really going on. And one of the things that I've noticed as I read the literature and as I get to know you guys is there is this, this very, protected cultural familial thing of inclusion and exclusion, right? Which you're kind of talking about here and wanting to stay a part of that long-term. And that's why a lot of these charities seem to come up and that's why all these conferences end up happening. But one of the things, right? Like as we get real and talk about first responder culture, which is something, you know, 16 minutes in, I think we, I think we should dive into it because I think a lot of first responders hopefully will listen to this. And I, I would love to just kind of dig into like what, what's going on that, creates this perpetual culture of I can't talk about my problems within and not only that what why is it that that after retirement if you're not doing the charity thing you're you feel so ostracized from the community that the average life expectancy of a retired first responder is somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five years and so it's like you're either in or you're out how do we how do we gray this thing how do we, Ryan, like, what do, you, what do you think? Do you have any ideas? Well, that's a big question. Um, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boy, there's a lot of levels to that. Like, you know, when you leave, I haven't left yet, so I don't know. I mean, that's for sure. Jared, Jared knows that. But, um, I, and I'm a nerd. Like, I, you know, I, I part of what I do is because I love being around people like me. I love mm. talking the talk. I love... Um, talking about everything from literally, you know, tactics on the fire ground to like leadership stuff. And that's a big part of what we do in our mentorship group. Um, and that's why we gather the conferences. Like those are, those are kind of a place for us to, uh, rekindle ourselves. And so, yeah, that's so true. As I go to the conferences, right. It's people from all over the place and you guys are all coming in and creating these relationships so that you can kind of hang on to them long term so that you stay connected within the community. It's a common right? bond. Common bond thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And even even being on the job currently, there's people who and this is through fire and law uh, for sure on both sides. But there's people who are they go to work and they do the job and they like the job, but then there's people who are into the job or people that love the job. And so sometimes if you're one of those people who loves the job, I mean, it's the same thing in the SWAT world, like SWAT guys, a lot of people don't know, but uh, you know, there's a percentage of officers who just don't like SWAT guys. And, uh, it's cause they, they live it. I mean, they breathe it. And it's the same thing in the fire service is there's those of us that breathe it. And so sometimes that can overwhelm people around you who do not breathe it. And so we go to these conferences and we do these things on the side to kind of be around all those people who you just have that same level of like, we can sit around. We love just, we'll just sit around at the bar and just talk. We'll be in a conference all day for eight hours learning. And then we'll go to the bar and we'll talk for another three hours about the job, which yeah. people are like, who does that? And it's just part of, part of that community. Well, that, that's kind of a sad reality in our culture is that it, it is, it is a profession. It's not a job. And we, it's a lifestyle all day, every day. And 
we understand each other. Again, we speak the language and those that don't, don't, and they don't understand it. They don't get it. That, you know, you talk about people who leave and why it's so difficult because it's so much of our identity. Everything we do, everything we've lived for, you know, 16 years old, you saw this. My grandfather, when I was a little kid, was the sheriff of Yakima County with the canines. Like I saw it's imprinted in my brain. And I was like, whatever that is, I want to be a part of it. So it's really hard for us because we love this noble profession we in. We truly do. And things are going to happen to us physically and mentally and emotionally that are going to be taxing on us. And it's going to get to a breaking point like it did with me. And all I want is love and support from my brothers and sisters in law enforcement. But a lot of us don't know what it is or don't know how to help. And then we're afraid of it. The reason why we don't talk about it is we're afraid of it. Afraid of what? PTSD, trauma, yeah. all of the bullshit. All, all the bad yeah. stuff that could all happen. All of the bad stuff. So you don't talk about it. No. Or think about it or acknowledge no. it or just ignore it. Yeah. No. We'll laugh about it. We are very unique people. joke about people. it for sure. Yeah. 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 We have dark humor. All right? We have great stories around the Thanksgiving yeah. dinner table. But ultimately, like Ryan was saying, we'll hang out on the, on the, uh, on the fire truck, firehouse, or the PD, and guess what? We're going to go out, hang out together, play poker, and we're going to talk about work. That's what we do. Most people don't do that. That's why it's a lifestyle and such an identity that if we lose that, that's difficult to rebound. Do you think, though, that, like, if there were a way to soften the hardness of the identity, allow for more flexibility with this identity, and have this, like, do or die, like I'm a cop or I'm not, or like it's all that I am. Do you think, do you think there's ways to like lessen that, that would, that would free up space for people to explore other parts of their identity? For sure. There's, there's balance in it, but it's got to be top down. You have to have commanders. You have to have decision makers that embrace, Hey, we value you, not lip service. Here's the actions that we're going to put in place. Yeah. One of the things that we did for, for Yakima Fire is they put together a peer support book and put in every firehouse. And in, in one of those sleeves of the book, it has Deer Hall's contact information. So there's all these resources, but we got to talk about it. Right. At a minimum, we have to at least talk about it. For sure. Right? Because after we go to these horrific events... And we're all suffering because of it, but we don't want to talk about it because if we do, there's a fear of shame, mm-hmm. right? A guilt or abandonment or somebody's going to be like, uh, you know, shove some dirt on it, drive on because our training officers, that's what they instilled in us. Because generationally, four, five, six, right, decades ago, that's what they were taught. So yeah. until we break that chain in that, be like, hey, listen, we're embracing this. This, is jo- this job, this profession is going to be taxing on you and your family. We need to be mindful of that. So... When we go to these events, we're going to talk about it. And if you need a higher level of care, we support you. Go get it. And when you come back, we're not going to ostracize you, not going to take your gun. We're not going to take your action. We're not going to put you in the training division because we don't trust you to go out there on the fire anymore. You embrace it. So, so what I'm hearing you say is like in the past, people have gone off and gotten help and they come back and it's almost like they're a pariah. For sure. They're, they're, they're put in the training division or they're put, they're put in a desk job or whatever. And it's, it's, it's like this subtle message of if you do this, you're going to be, you know, isolated. Like there's something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. There's, and that we don't know if we can trust a, you yeah. in a stick it's with a, a gun. It's the capital A on your chest. Right. The scarlet letter. Scarlet letter. Yeah. That's but until we break down and smash the stigma of this bullshit and nonsense, because we'll create a narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was looking at retirement and they're like, 
All right, so if you, if you leave at this with so many years, you get this percentage. And I was getting different answers from every other cop. I'm like, what the hell? Because we don't take the time to figure out the facts of this. Right. Go to the professionals. Call up your Department of Retirement System on the left, too, and go, what does it look like if I decide to retire? What are my options? You get it from them, not from us. But a lot of times, because we trust each other with our lives, mm. like, oh, Ryan's got to be giving me the good stuff. He's not bum scooping me, right? And that can be our downfall. For sure. I, I'm thinking more on like a softer note of like uh, of a different identity because as you're still on the job, you're talking about, hey, we'll go do this all day and then we'll go sit and talk about it for three hours. But to me, I see a lack in like a, another identity of like a personal hobby. Your family you talked about, your young family takes up a lot of your time. Um, and that's the, that I see the concern is, is every first responder that I ran into in the last 10 or so years is scared of losing their identity. So I think the alternative to kind of what you were saying, Matt, was to find, I don't want to say an alt, alternate identity, but to find another part of you yeah. that can grow after retirement or that after you're done with the eight or the 12 hour or whatever shift that is, that you have healthy friends that are not first responders, healthy family relationships that can continue on past the job and other hobbies that you can do without your family and without these friends that interest you enough to keep you happy, sane, and healthy. I think that is a key thing. Yeah. Yeah, let me know when you guys figure out how to, how to do <laughs> well, that. And, and I, think, I think, Ryan, I think you're onto something, too, here, because what, what it sounds like what a lot of very successful guys do, because the, the, real, the real thing we're trying to do here is protect against the mental health pitfalls, right? Because... Like the, the thing that the thing that happens with first responders, and this is just throughout all this literature, right, is chances of dying early extremely high, chances of suicide way higher, five times higher, depression five times higher, anxiety like six, seven, eight times higher, like all these mental health woes because of the the taxing nature of the job. So maybe maybe diversify your identity as a way to mitigate some of that. But it sounds like also what what the most successful of you guys do is you find meaning in helping each other, not just doing the job. Yeah. Which is I, what you do. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think there's a good and a bad to it. Like, I, I have other hobbies. Obviously, I do other things. You know, I'm very, very involved with my kids and stuff. Um, but it, it, is, it is who I am. I mean, it, it like, uh, you know, I've had this conversation with my counselor about, you know, separating that identity. And I'm like, look at what I'm wearing. I even got fire department socks on, you know what I mean? Like thin red line socks. Like it, it is in me. It is who I am. Um, but the, the benefit of kind of the conferences and being involved is like, we get to go and have those conversations. And I think that is probably way more powerful than being detached and coming to work, doing my job and then checking out because we do have those. I mean, we don't necessarily get into the trauma, but we have conversations that are real um, and things that impact this. And I do think that mental health is changing. I've seen it drastically in my 22 years. Um, but I do think what Jared said is like part of the reasons we don't talk about it, because if you unpack your trauma, that means that I'm going to have to unpack my trauma. And I'm not I'm, you might be ready to do that today and I might not be ready to do that. And it's probably not going to be while we're sitting around the table and the tones can go off in five minutes. Right. Because that's that's not a good place to be either. And I think the other thing that we have a hard time kind of delineating is that we have to be able to do what you said, which is rub dirt in it, suck it up and press on because 
when it's time, it's mission time and we have to have that ability. And now I think we're trying to find our foot in saying like, that's what we got to be able to do operationally at this time. But now we don't need to do that because we're not, you know, we're not in, we're not on the mission. We're not out there. You know, nobody's shooting at us. We're at the station or we're on our four day or we're on our days off. We're on vacation. And I got to be able to say, all right, man, that, that thing messed me up. But I will say it, it is changing and the, the perception is changing. The conversations are happening. Uh, you know, our, when our recruits hit us now, it's like, hey, uh, you probably better get yourself lined out with a counselor yeah. and just, you know, get, get establish a relationship. I mean, that's like our recruits are coming into the fire department and that's what they're hearing right out of the gate from our peer support teams. And that's that's going to be a game changer for you us. You would have never heard that. No, ever, God, no. Ever no. when you and I first joined. No. no way. Talk to someone? No. Absolutely not. No. no, we have choir practice. Go go to the bar, whatever that yeah. looks like, and just drown our sorrows. Yeah. Because that's how they were taught. Again, that's how they were impressed upon us. And it really goes back to, and, and what we collectively, the four of us are doing, is training, education, bringing awareness. That's what we do. Right, we provide that training and education. I've saved more lives by sharing my story than I ever have pushed my black and white on the streets of Yakima, and I'm proud of that. I truly am, because if you can see yourself in me and go, "Hey, man, Jared was suffering. He did the most courageous thing, and he asked for help. I can too, and that's a beautiful thing." For sure. Um, I think as we realize like the necessity of being able to unload what we're dealing with, right? That's what the counselor thing is for. And that's kind of what choir practice was too, right? Like you go have a few drinks, all of a sudden you start to loosen up and then you can joke about the stuff that happened throughout the day, which I mean, there's time and a place for that for sure. Yeah. You, you got to have that camaraderie. You got to have that brotherhood. You got to have that ability to unload, let go, release and, and being able to do that with somebody in a safe environment, like a counselor is awesome. Having your friends is able to do it is awesome. But one of the things that shows up a lot in the literature is that, that the, the, um, spouses feel this overburdening because they get unloaded on regularly as well. Right. And now Ryan's like going like, dude, what are you talking about? I don't want to talk about this shit. Really? We're talking about my wife. No, no I don't want to talk about, but, but I'm just, I'm curious if, if we're able to be, as a community, able to take this bird's eye view and just kind of look at the way things have been going and, and just ask ourselves questions like, what can we double down on and keep? And what can we kind of let go of and move on from so that maybe my wife doesn't feel this huge burden or my partner or husband, whoever, doesn't feel this huge burden? Maybe I can allow myself some time throughout the day to to do the stuff that I need to do so that I feel a little bit more capable of dealing with the stresses of home rather than burn out at work and get home and be like, kids, leave me alone, right? And, and veg out on the couch or whatever. I'm curious if you've found, you know, any ways that you've been able to do that. What, what works for you and able well, it's interesting you say that because I have heard that from people, but I honestly, I'm, I'm the other extreme man. I don't tell my wife anything about the bad of what we do. I, I don't, I just, I don't know, just, and she, she's uh, a nurse practitioner. She worked in the ER as a nurse. Um, so she, she gets the, the trauma side of it, but, um, that's never been, I don't know, an outlet for me, but I do think that, you know, like we, 
we always attack things, whether it's on law enforcement, fire, like, you know, there's always contingency plans. There's always multiple things that are happening simultaneously to be successful. And I think that that's true on the mental health side, too. And I like one of the things that we have lost a little bit that I see, and it's not good to go out and drink away your, you know, your bad days. But there is a camaraderie piece and a, a community piece that I think has dwindled as like the modern family of two spouses who both work, you have husbands who are far more involved in their kids' lives, and those are all outstanding good things. But the days of like we get off work and we go to the bar as a as a crew and we talk about what just happened, maybe not at the trauma level, but at the at least we just talked about this the incident that we just had. Like, man, we didn't almost make it home from that one because um, we do uh, we have those conversations. Like that was close, you know, that was close. Um, but I think we have lost a little bit of that community within because our lives are, you know, you got two kids who are both in, you know, soccer that are traveling the country and you got, you know, this thing and this thing and this thing. And the old days was like the, you know, the, the husband was typically, uh, you know, in, in our job, mostly male, he is the provider the wife takes care of things at home and, you know, he picks up overtime. Now we're like doing all of those things and you're being involved, which is all great, but it is, it is resource intensive. And I think we don't get together like we do. And that's why for us, those conferences and stuff are, Huge. are so critical is because that's where we do that is we, we get together and we have those conversations, even though it may not be the people that I was on the call with, but we're talking about like, Hey man, I, yeah, last month, like I had this, this fire and psh, it was, it was crazy, you know? So I do think that that's a, a piece of it that we have to find the healthy part of like, let's not go to the bar at 8 a.m. when we get off work. Um, Cause you know, that that's been a thing too, but for sure. Yeah. Wow. I'd have to agree. I think a, we've lost a lot of that in our history, whether you like it or not, I think, but our lives are so much more busier now. We have so much in the palm of our hand with our phones that can keep us busy. I, I truly believe that because we didn't used to have all this nonsense. It used to be face-to-face conversations and we'd go out and hang out at the bar, somebody's house and have a barbecue and drink. And we solved a lot of our problems that way. And it was a team, right? It, now there's a lot of individuals yeah. and that's okay, right? But I, I, I do believe that we are losing a lot of us, even in the military side of the house, but in our first responder communities, we're losing a lot of where we came from and what that looks like now because of that. There's, there's, there's not a lot of people that are willing to sign up and do over and above. A lot of people are going to come in and do the bare minimum and get paid for that, right? I don't know how many hours I've spent staying over, coming in late, making coffee for the fellow, getting everything... Those things are few and far between, if any, anymore. Like, there's rituals. There are certain ways that you come in, you know, as a, as a new recruit, whatever that looks like. You have to pay your dues, right? And you have to earn your right to stand amongst our ranks. And a lot of that, I mean, you even look at the physical part of it. There's standards that they don't even have anymore yeah. to get into certain <laughs> disciplines. And you're like, what are you talking about? They're like, no, even if they, if they failed the PT, they're still going to and like... So I think we've lost our ways. And I, again, I'm, I was born in the 70s, and so I, I, I have a different mentality than, than others do. But they are ultimately going to be the generation that takes, continues our mission. Yep. So we have to set them up for success. And I love that you, know, you guys are already talking about therapy and getting a, ther- getting a trauma therapist that understands the culture and speaks the language. You can find a therapist yeah. online or 
But if, if they don't know what right. we've seen and done. For sure. Yeah, and I think you bring it back to that same conversation of like, there's a hardness and a softness that has to be adapted in this job. And part of the hardness is important. And, and we have this relationship because when I joined the SWAT team, it was, I mean, it was rough. And, and especially as an outsider coming in as a firefighter and a medic and not being part of the, the true law community, like I paid my dues for a long time. But once you pay those dues, like that, then you've, you've done something and achieved something. And so we have taken those standards out of some things where uh, we've gotten soft on that side. And I don't think that's the right place to get soft because that's how we really create a, a bond with each other is through the hardness and the hardship and that we all went through the same thing to get to where we are. And so I think that part for me has to stay on the, we have to have standards and we have to hold each other accountable. That's what I loved about the SWAT team. I, and I've never got that back. There's nothing like it in the fire service. The fire service does not have SWAT teams that the same concept. I loved it. You had a whole group of guys that everybody wanted to be the best every single day. And I ate it up and I miss it all the time. Like I, I absolutely miss it. Um, because that, that bond is just different than anything else. So I think that's the hard side, but then we have to really be able to say like, all right, that's that. But now we need to, we, we got some things we got to deal with on the soft side. So, well, it's the adversity as well as the standards, right? I know in order for you to become a SWAT team member, you got to go through SWAT basic. We all went through it, right? It's hell. But you know what? After we get it, we're like, that's, I accomplished that. I made it through. And then, all right, now I see you. You see me. That's really, it's adversity. It's like when we suffer in the military, going through boot camp. Suck. Marine Corps boot camp was the worst. But the sense of accomplishment, how proud I was of myself that I did it. Same thing going through law enforcement, basic law, law enforcement academy. I know the men and women that have gone before me. It makes me proud that I can earn the right to stand among their ranks and it truly is it's critical for us well i i I love this uh idea of kind of getting back to the the root of the roots so to speak where we're having camaraderie in a formalized way because i'll have to say the enemy is isolation because that's really the the ultimate killer and, and all mental health woes are created in isolation and and actually promote more isolation which is a huge problem and the old way of doing thing was you'd get together but now there's so many pressures there's so much social stress there's so so much financial stress as well as like media stress right the attention of of the media itself on you guys it's never it's unprecedented how much pressures on everybody in the first responder community um and so now finding ways to gather, to unload, to connect, to understand one another. And conferences are a really great, 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 great way to do that. Really great way to do that. So if people want to attend your next conference, how do they do that? Where is it? How do they get a hold of you? All that stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to pull up my flyer so I don't say the date's yeah. wrong. Bring it. Um, so we're in Spokane this year. So it's our okay. second conference. We did it in Tri-Cities. Um, we moved it up to Spokane to kind of open up people flying in a little bit easier to get into. But um, so we're doing 
Sunday, May 21st is our pre-conference, and it is exclusively focused on mental health. And so uh, we have Dr. Kishel, who is the Spokane... Um, She's attached to Spokane Fire Department, which uh, Jared knows, which we're, that was kind of funny to have that. Like, yeah, she's you, actually my trauma therapist as well. Okay, yeah. So That's she, awesome. Yeah. So I don't know even how that came up, but I was like, do you, do you know Jared? She's like, oh, I know Jared. So, yeah. Um, so she's speaking. And then um, Dina Ali, she's a battalion chief for uh, Rally Fire Department and uh, or at Rally Fire Department. And uh, she's been kind of on the national circuit for about five, six years um, teaching mental health spinning up peer support teams. Um, she's outstanding. So they're kind of opening the conference with the pre-con day. And then um, the next three days are focused on tactics and uh, leadership. Leadership's a big piece. So uh, we're mostly on Facebook. Uh, Young Officers on Fire is our company name. And uh, the conference is called Ride in the Right Seat. So you, could, you can find us on Facebook is probably the easiest way. And the conference stuff is all over there. And that's dope. Yeah. yeah and if you're, uh, if you're interested in hearing uh, my story, Ryan had reached out, like I had said, uh, and asked if I'd be willing to share my story. So uh, I will be one of their guest speakers on, on Monday starting at 1300. You can find all the information out on that Facebook page or uh, on, that, on that flyer. And we look forward to seeing all of you. Again, I'm excited for this opportunity. I'm looking forward to today. We're going to go play some pickleball, play some poker uh, at night. But again, thanks again for, for showing up, sharing uh, your stories, and obviously giving some education on, on what you're doing. It's really good stuff. For man. sure, so man. Thank you. So one more time, name of the Facebook page. Uh, it's Young Officers on Fire. Name of the company. It's Young Officers on Fire also. Name of the conference. Uh, Ride in the Right Seat Conference. Dates. Uh, it is starting on May 21st. May 21st. Yep. Ends the 24th. 24th. So yep. there's a four, three, four-day conference. Yeah, four days total. In Spokane, Washington. Spokane, Washington. If you guys want to get hooked up with that, I'll put links in the show notes as well. Also want to thank uh, Deer Hollow, the sponsors of this podcast as well as um, my wife for supporting us and allowing me to go out and do all this stuff. Thanks, Brindy. Brindy, you are Thanks, the best. Brindy. We missed you on this one. And um, be sure to check out DeerHollowRecovery.com. As well, follow Deer Hollow on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, if you're not following Finding Strength Podcast on Instagram or following me, Matt Quackenbush, on Instagram, you're missing out. It's some great content. It's very, very, very sparse. It doesn't really ever show up at all, but there is some content there that's worth looking at, and we'll hook you up with every podcast episode. And if you're a first-time listener, please go back and check on all check out all the other episodes. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of really good ones on there that I would highly, highly recommend. And all listeners out there, if you have not yet, click the subscribe button um, in Spotify, on Apple, on Google, on your Stitcher app. Just click the subscribe button, and every single time we have a new episode, it'll get right into your inbox. Ryan. Pleasure having you, man. It's great to get to know you. Hopefully, get to work together better. Jordan, as always, my friend. Love you, dude. Love you. Jared, you're freaking badass. Love you, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate you it. <laughs>